Good morning, everybody. Um, this is my very first time preaching um, in front of a large um, audience of adults. I do teach, and I do think children are sometimes more forgiving than adults. But, um, yeah, I'm, I really do mean this. It is an absolute privilege to share the Word of God with to the worship team practice. Um, I just think we have a really awesome worship team, by the way. Um, and... Uh, I just got ministered to, and I just felt like God say to me, what, what a privilege, what a privilege it is to be part of the body of Christ, to really to be real together. And um, I'm aware that um, all of us do not live perfect lives. I do not live the perfect life. I'm not perfect, um, and neither are any of us here really. But I want to be real with you today, and I want to share the message that I believe God has put on my heart, and it's a message of restoration. God is a God of restoration. And um, my original message was actually going to be something completely different, and um, I never got any download for it, and I kept standing in front of a brick wall waiting for God to show me what to share with you, and it never came. Until about a week ago when I started preparing this message, I realized God's probably had it in my heart for quite a few years, what I'm going to share with you today. So, um, this little game that the children were playing, actually I quite like it. This tower is still up, and this tower is broken down. You might have heard it crashing down right at the end. Um, it's such an ancient game children have been playing. I think children have probably been playing this game since oh, back through the centuries, building a tall tower, seeing how high it can go, and then it, you watch it crash down, either on purpose or accidentally, depending on how kind your siblings are. And then you have to start building it again. And I really do believe God speaks to us through life, through things that happen in our life every day. And I was just thinking, I guess... He's showing us, he's showing even our children from such a tender age what life is going to be like for them here on this earth. What we build in our lives sometimes comes crashing down. Sometimes it's taken away from us, it's destroyed. And in this little game, it's like God's preparing our children for what life is like. Our dreams do come crashing down. Things are destroyed, and we've got to get up and build them up again and pick ourselves up. So today, I really want to bring this message of hope to you and tell you that God is good, and he loves rebuilding our lives. He knows what it's like to lose something. Look at what happened in the Garden of Eden. But he knows how to restore It's a biblical principle, restoration. It's something that's been going on in the Bible since before time. It's something we all talk about. But do we really, really believe that God restores? Do we really understand God's loving plan for us as his children? Do we really believe that God wants to restore everything to us? And do we even know what restoration looks like if God is actually at work in our lives right now, restoring something to us? Let's pray. Father God, this message of hope that I have is from you. 
as we look at the word and the promises of restoration you have for those who believe in you and love you and trust in you, open our eyes and hearts today, Lord. May your words fill my mouth and bring life and hope and healing in whatsoever way you desire, Holy Spirit. Use me as an instrument of your peace, Lord. And may you sow life in abundance in lives in this church today. In Jesus' name. So there's a picture up there of um, a beautiful church that I visited while I was recently in Tuscany. I had the privilege of spending four days with one of my best friends in Tuscany. And we wandered into this beautiful church um, in the hilltop town of Monticello, if anybody's been to Tuscany. Um, Art conservationists have restored the frescoes on this church wall. Um, And what struck me the most was how slow and deliberate and methodical the process of restoration in this church was. Removing layers of grime consisting of candle wax and soot that had been deposited by the burning of candles for over 500 years. Um, They also had to remove oil and animal fat that were used to block up areas in the walls where water had leaked through the ceiling. Um, Bit by bit by bit, they revealed the deep, rich colors that the artists used, millimeter by millimeter, patient hands with an obvious love and passion for revealing the beauty of the painting that was in the artist's heart nearly five, six hundred years ago. I looked in the Bible, in the Bible. I looked in the dictionary, which is actually a teacher's Bible sometimes. As a teacher, I looked in the dictionary for the meaning of restoration. And this was the best one I could see. The act or process of returning something to its good condition or position. And um, I thought, wow, that's exactly what these art conservationists do. They they restore something in a process, very long process, to its original good condition. Um, You can see here, well, you probably can't see on the right, there's a picture of John the Baptist revealing that Jesus is the way. There's colors and details in this fresco that haven't been seen for centuries. This church isn't a famous one. It's not even really on the tourist trail. You don't even have to pay to go into it. But long and expensive, really expensive restoration obviously took place in order to return the church to what it was for the community of Monticello. And also, it has a profound effect on lovers of Renaissance art. I'm no boffin on Renaissance art, but this church just filled me with wonder and amazement at the work that these men had done. So it got me thinking in the same way that art conservationists restore frescoes and paintings, so God does in our lives. He carefully, lovingly stoops down and he picks up the pieces of our lives. It may take years, even a lifetime. It's a process, as the dictionary defines it. It's long sometimes. Or it even might be a powerful act where what you lost is instantly restored. God's timing is not ours. The way he works is deliberate. There is a plan. 
It is perfect, and the end result is beautiful. Today, as I share six powerful truths about restoration, I encourage you, please open your heart. I really do believe there are people sitting here today who need the restoration of God's loving hand on their lives. So the first truth, if we can have the next slide, please. The first restoration truth, number one, God's style, is everything on this earth belongs to God. Everything. Um, He says in Psalm 50, the world is mine and all that is in it. And I've got a beautiful picture there of cattle grazing. And there's a wonderful verse in, in the Psalms where God says, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. And that really ministers to me as someone who grew up on a farm in Africa um, where my mum and dad farmed cattle. And um, cattle are so valuable. They're worth so much. I'm sure those of you who are also here from Africa will understand that. And God owns everything, everything. Um, He even says he owns all the silver and all the gold in the Old Testament in Haggai. In the Song of Songs, we we hear, I am my beloved's, and he is mine. And in order for us to get a real revelation of of restoration, we need to really understand this, that he owns everything. He owns our lives, our children. He owns our property. He owns our town. He owns our schools. He owns everything. And um, I think sometimes we say this and we don't really get it. So um, sit down sometime this week quietly and reflect on this amazing truth because it does affect the way that you walk your life every day when you get the revelation that God owns everything. Truth number two is... That's it. Sorry, I'm looking on that. That's right. Truth number two, Satan has come to kill, steal, and destroy. Hmm. Some Christians say we shouldn't talk about the devil, that we're better off just ignoring him. Others try to reason him out of existence. Liberal theologians even argue that there isn't a devil, no heaven, no hell. Hmm. The devil is real. He's the enemy of our souls. And he is simply not going to go away. Few biblical figures have been identified so clearly and extensively. He's described as Lucifer, Satan, deceiver, hinderer, wicked one, usurper, imposter, accuser, devourer, God of the world, ruler of darkness. And in Revelation, he is described as the old serpent. The truth is this, that Satan destroys. He steals our finances. He takes away our families. He destroys our home with marital strife, busy parents, teenage rebellion and pornography. He kills our hope and faith in God. He tears down our dreams. He throws cold water on our zeal to serve the Lord. He robs us of our careers and deep restorative sleep at night. He destroys our health, he devours our joy, and he takes our honor. He takes away our freedom and he steals our peace. What has he stolen from you? 
We're on a battlefield, and the sooner you realize the enemy's tactics, the sooner you can square up to him and with God's help rightfully take back what is yours. Can we have the next slide, please? Thank you. So truth number three is that God wants to restore everything back to us. Because that's who he is. That's the God we serve. He's good. It's in his nature. He wants to give back to us. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, abundantly. If you study the Old Testament and restoration, you'll see that every single time God restores in the Israelites' lives and individuals' lives, he restores double Fourfold, even sevenfold. He doesn't just restore what you've lost. He restores what you've lost and more. Because that's his nature. That's who he is. God had a restoration plan before the world even began. We see this glorious plan put into action in Genesis. And it continues right up to Revelation. When he said, look, I am making all things new. In our lives, we see how God restores and what is lost. Um, I don't know if any of you really know the story of how Paul and me and the girls got back to England the second time. Um, We lived here 11, 12, 13, 14 years ago, and we um, did a roundabout trip back here three years ago via Dubai and Zambia. Um, We lived in Zambia for three years in the middle of nowhere, in a, um, on a Christian school where we felt God had called us. And it was the toughest three years of my whole life. Um, we faced battles every single day, and the enemy robbed from us. The ultimate way the enemy tried to rob from us was to take my husband's life. Paul fell ill in our last year with typhoid, malaria, and brucellosis. I'm not even going to go into what all those funny diseases are. You probably know what malaria is. Anyway, he ended up in hospital um, in the capital of Zambia. Um, He had to be flown there before the sun set on a tiny little plane one evening. Um, And they couldn't treat him. They didn't know what was wrong with him. Um, and I left him, went back into the bush to the girls, and then four days later he was medevaced out of Zambia to Johannesburg. We traveled with him, and um, he couldn't walk. He had lost 24 kgs. Um, his trousers weren't fitting him. He had cheap flip-flops from the local store in the tiny little village in the bush, and we arrived in Johannesburg, a broken family. Um, To cut a long story short, God started restoring us in Johannesburg. He brought the most incredible men around Paul, who doctors, um, our friends in Dubai who helped us financially. He was under the top World Health Organization doctor. They couldn't find out what was wrong. Eventually they found out he was cured of malaria, cured of typhoid, but this tiny little brucellosis virus was hiding every single time they tried to take blood, test the blood. Anyway, we were advised by the World Health Organization that Paul should not get malaria again. Um, His body was finished. He was 
he couldn't feel in both arms, his feet had no feeling. He had neuropathy, really, from all the medication. Um, I'm just giving you the shortened version because I know time is short. But we arrived back here in England um, in July of, in June of 2016. And God, well, Paul ran a a triathlon, I think, about six months later after we arrived back here. This was my husband who couldn't walk. He nearly started crying when he took over a granny at at a supermarket in Johannesburg. He could hardly walk. And he's now a fit, healthy, completely restored man. And God has not only restored the brokenness that we felt in our hearts back in Zambia, um, he's restored, we we were able to buy a home here, Um, we were able to start living normally as a family again and deal with all the hurt that we had. God brought all the people around in our lives who we needed, and he completely restored us. We were so broken. We were like that tower that had crashed down. And God has done amazing things. Our girls are at great schools. They're doing well. That is the God who restores. Can we have the next slide, please? So while God's restoring, sometimes we're not even aware of it. Sometimes the way that we think God should be restoring our lives, because, you know, our plans are always better than God's at times, it's so different. It's sometimes painful. It's sometimes excruciating long, excruciatingly long. Um, if you think of Adam, probably the first person God put his restoration plan into action, he immediately sent Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. Mm. Adam probably thought, well, God, that's not the restoration plan I had in my mind. I want to stay in the Garden of Eden. It's so nice here. God sent them out. If you think of poor old Moses, Moses was groomed to be a leader. He was in the court of Pharaoh. He ended up being a shepherd with a flock of sheep and a little campfire. But then he was raised to be the leader of God's people and lead the Israelites through the desert. Think of um, Joseph. Joseph was ended up in the dungeons after having this amazing um, call on his life to change the Pharaoh's ideas and to be a leader in Egypt, and he ended up in the dungeons thanks to Potiphar's wife. But after that, God raised him to be the most important man in Egypt. And then think of Jesus, probably the greatest example of restoration. He was born to be king of kings. He was born into poverty. He was oppressed, accused, spat on, beaten, ridiculed. He died, but he was raised to be the king of kings. In all these three men's lives, God did incredible work of restoration. But sometimes that needs to happen in God's way. All the time it needs to happen in God's way, not ours. Sometimes it's a painful, frustrating process, restoration. Like Joseph, we may feel we are sitting in the dungeon right now. I think there's some of you feeling like you're in the dungeon, waiting for your health to be restored, 
waiting for your finances to start looking slightly healthier than they have been. Like Moses, we may feel we're sitting out in the wilderness with only a campfire and a flock of sheep for company, waiting for our debts to clear, our prodigals to return home, our siblings to start talking to us again, or our depression to lift. My dad um, and mum lived on a farm in Africa, and in 2000, um, most of the white-owned farms in Zimbabwe were taken um, by Robert Mugabe's government. And um, it was a beautiful farm. Um, we looked after many, many, many families on our farm. It, it, it was a fourth-generation farm. And my mum and dad were left without a home, um, and they moved to Denton, just outside Grantham. Um, that was painful. That was a painful loss for our family, especially for my dad. Um, at the age of 60, I think he was 65, to have everything that you've built up taken away from you and to land in a foreign country where you have actually no idea of how life goes on here because you're only used to one way of life, that was really hard. Not just for my mum and dad, but for all of us. Um, my dad died two years ago, and he died of the beginnings of dementia, with the beginnings of dementia and emphysema. He was a fit man. He was um, uh, quite well in his head, in his mind when he died. He, he didn't have the advanced stages of dementia, but he lived his last um, 17 years of his life here in England, and he struggled every single day with the idea that he had lost his farm. Um, he, I don't think he's ever forgiven the people who took his farm, which is another key thing in restoration. Um, the night that he died, he watched on the news um, the, the rumblings of the first tanks um, with the, the coup in Harare when um, the, the military overthrew, overthrew Robert Mugabe's government. And he watched that on the news at 8 o'clock, and he went up to bed, and about half an hour later, my mum found him dead in bed. No struggle. He had literally died. Now, I mean, we can go into all sorts of things. He finally saw some justice being done on the TV for the man who stole his farm in his eyes, um, which is not really my point. Why I'm telling you the story is my mum phoned me, and I rushed over to her house, and um, I saw my dad lying on the floor, and they were the ambulance was there trying to resuscitate him. But I just knew, I looked at his body and I just knew he wasn't there anymore. So I prayed. I said, God, show me. Show me where my dad is. And I saw my dad running, breathing again. He had emphysema. I saw him running to heaven. I could hear his feet slapping on the pavement. Oh, it was a beautiful sight. He was young. He was vital. He was fit. He was smiling. He was completely restored. And I have returned to that image again and again. And I know that that is the picture of how God wants to restore us here on earth and in heaven. My dad never got his farm back. 
He never lived. We still don't have the farm back. We may never get it back. So I question God and I say, God, where's the restoration? You promised me restoration. And God says to me, Caroline, look around you. Your whole family live in England and are together. Many Zimbabwean families are bombshelled all over the world. He says to me, Caroline, look, you own a property here in England. I took, I took you from a place where you had lost your inheritance, and I've given you one here in England. He says, Caroline, look, your children, your nieces are well. Your mum is with you all. And I think, there's my restoration. God doesn't always restore in the way we want him to restore. But the blessings are so creative and so varied. And sometimes we overlook that. Much like the art conservationists who restored those beautiful frescoes in the church in Monticello, the artist who originally painted that story of John the Baptist never got to see his restored work. He never got to see the vibrant colors that he only saw by candlelight when he was painting. But we get to see them. I got to see them. I got to marvel at the work and feel the presence of the Holy Spirit and the silent, peaceful beauty of the brush strokes that remind us of the timelessness of our eternal God through centuries past and centuries to come. And like the towers that we build and then watch crashing to the ground, we see God gently stooping down to pick up each piece in the rubble of our lives. He rebuilds, he restores, he sets firm foundations, and then he gives us the vision to continue in his way. So the final, ultimate truth that I want to show you today is that Jesus is our restorer. Can we have the other slide, please? Oh, sorry, we've, we've gone. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. Jesus is our restorer. <sighs> Jesus took all our losses. We know all this. We say this. But do we really, really believe it? Jesus took all our losses. Everything that the devil destroyed and devoured in our lives, past, present, and to come, physical and spiritual, our loss of peace, our loss of a sound mind, Jesus took all of these and exchanged our losses for his riches in heaven, his peace of mind, and his perfectly healthy body on the cross. When you were born again and you received Jesus into your heart, you believed this ultimate mind-blowing, mind-bending fact that Jesus has done it all. You believed that everything you've lost will be restored and you believed that you live with Christ in heavenly places and Christ lives in you, the hope of glory. But some of us at various times in our life have forgotten this truth and we seem to limp through life only half believing this amazing truth. Sometimes we... We're searching, searching for the earthly manifestation of our restoration, which only sometimes looks exactly like we hope. And so once more, 
we allow ourselves to become disappointed and bitter. We allow the devil to come and devour our hopes, our abundant life, our joy, and bitterness and disappointment and half-hearted worship and anxiety sets in. So really, my message today is that Jesus is your restorer. He restores everything. He restores the years the locusts have eaten. He wants to restore it all to you. And all we've got to do is we've got to ask him and believe this truth, that he is our restorer through Jesus Christ. While I was preparing for this um, message, I asked God to show me how I should respond. I've never had to lead a response before after, uh, after a preach, but I really do believe that um, there are some people here today who need restoration and who God wants to restore in some way or another. Um, I have some words here. I don't know if they're going to mean anything to anybody, but these are kind of the, the things that God showed me over the week. So um, I believe that there's someone um, in, in this room today who's suffering... I don't know if it's toothache or if it's something to do with pain in a jaw. Um, also, nerve pain around the facial area um, on one side or both sides. Um, I'm not sure exactly where, but I felt like this came down to me. Um, if that's somebody here, um, we'll, 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 I'd like to pray for you. Um, and if you want to stand up, that would be great. Um, also, there's someone here or some people here who can't sleep at night. Um, years and years of theft, of deep restorative sleep um, has been stolen from you by the enemy. I believe that God wants to heal you of that sleeplessness. Um, God's promises to you are that when you lie down, you are not afraid. Um, I believe God wants to restore sleep to people. Um, I also have a word here for some young people um, possibly teenagers or a bit older, Jesus wants to restore your identity in him. Um, he, he, your self-image has been stolen by the devil and replaced with someone else's. And um, God wants to show you, even now I think as I'm speaking to you, God is showing you who you are in him and the gifts and talents he's placed within you. And he wants you to use those, not someone else's, not trying to use someone else's. Then I feel like there's someone here today as well who um, has lost the joy of their salvation. God wants to restore that. I believe that um, just take my glasses off. I believe that um, you you know that the joy of your salvation's been stolen, but you feel too afraid to ask for prayer because you feel like it's a silly prayer. It's nothing to do with healing. It's nothing to do with any major problem. But God is saying today, I want to restore the joy of your salvation. And then I also believe that there's someone here who has got a stone in their heart. Their heart of flesh isn't there anymore. They've lost um, the, the softness in their heart. And God wants to restore a heart of flesh I feel like they want, God wants to show you that you need to forgive someone. And 
the stone in your heart will go and your heart of flesh will enable you to walk free. If that's you in any of those words that I have, um, please stand so we can pray for you. Otherwise, if you would like to just have prayer for restoration, we can pray now that you will be restored in whatever area you think you would like to be restored in or you think God wants to restore for you. If you want to stand around people who are, if anyone would like to go and pray, stand around those people for prayer, that would be great.